0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to get through probably more verses than you're accustomed to here at the Grove today, which is good. Um, Looking at probably uh, getting through verses 17 through 31. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 17, that's where we'll be and start today. Um, Today we're going to go through a story and um, that probably anyone who has a lot of church background has heard before. If you don't have any church background, totally okay. Um, it'll be a new story for you. But this story is about the rich young ruler. Um, and the rich young ruler is someone who came to Jesus and asked Jesus the question, and Jesus' response is something that most people uh, who grew up in church have probably heard once before. Um, and what I want to do specifically about this today And about the rich young rulers, I want to make sure we read it in context. And we've been talking a lot about context here as we preach through. Um, So I'll read it and then we'll talk about the context and then kind of dig through it verse by verse. So verse 17, it says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions and verse 23, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, "How difficult is it for, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God." And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, "Children, how difficult is how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God." And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, "Then who can be saved?" and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, the story is a pretty popular story, and it's one that. Uh, has caused a great amount of controversy when it comes to the church and understanding um, all these different things. And so this is, this is a story that's called, and if you've heard about the rich young ruler, that's this story. Um, and it's interesting just so for us to know, in, in this passage and all the other gospels, and three other gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or three of the Gospels, uh, this story is told. And the only reason why we call him the rich young ruler is because you have to put the three stories together. Uh, all three stories kind of get that he's rich. Uh, another story says that he's young, and, uh, and the third says that he's a ruler. So he's the rich young ruler. And this passage is dealing with a hard saying, this idea about the camel. And he says, children, how difficult, or he says, how difficult, in verse 23, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed, and Jesus said to them again, in verse 24, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So this saying is saying it's, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The needle is this, this idea of a, a sewing needle. And so camels are pretty big, um, I mean, they're larger than like a sewing needle, and so it's, he's saying it's impossible. And so the reason why this has caused so much controversy is because God, Jesus is saying this is impossible for rich people to go to heaven, and and, and a lot of times we, we don't want to believe that, um, and we don't want to believe that's true. And so we'll talk about what this really means here. But a lot of people, when they handle this text, they like to say a couple different things. They like to say, it, it wasn't. It was a, a different kind of camel. It was a figurative camel, and and it was really talking about." camel hair and thread. And so you could thread a needle with camel hair, but it was more difficult. Uh, some people like to say, oh, you know, there was these, these small openings in the uh, walls of a city that you could fit a camel through. If you took all this stuff off a camel and really, if he like sucked his breath in, um, like I do to get in my pants. And if he could just did that, he could just fit right through the wall. And, and, and so people say that, but, but that's not what's happening here. Because if that was what was happening, the disciples wouldn't be amazed at the saying. They wouldn't be astonished at the saying. They wouldn't say, well, then if this man can't be saved, who can be saved? So we know that Jesus is saying something crazy here, something new here. He's saying something that was hard to believe. And so we can't take it and say, oh, it's not really what he meant. He didn't really mean this. He didn't really mean that because it doesn't fit the context it doesn't fit the disciples being amazed and exceedingly astonished. So there's lots of people who believe, and especially in our culture, that you can't get rich without stepping on people, without um, taking advantage of people. Our culture really buys into this, um, specifically like modern day young people. They just don't want any, no one should be rich. This idea of, uh, I'm not trying to get political, but this idea of redistribution of the wealth. And like just The idea of even being rich, regardless of how you got rich, is seen as an injustice by some people, just being rich. doesn't matter how you became rich, just the idea of being rich is an injustice. But Jesus and his disciples live in this culture where wealth is seen as favor. I mean, you, look, you look back at the story of Job, and Job's friends thought that, that God, it was God's favor for you to have wealth, for you to have friends, for you to have land, family, Um, money. That was God's favor. They assumed that material prosperity meant you were living a good life and God was blessing you. But Jesus' response to this man shows that he does not subscribe to either of these views. He doesn't believe that you have to step on people and take advantage of people or it's wrong to be rich, nor is it uh, always a sign of virtue or God's favor. Because Jesus asked this question, um, the, the man asks a question. Jesus, Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments, specifically the last six-ish of the Ten Commandments. And the ruler says, I've kept these since my youth. I've, I've been nice to people. I've never defrauded anyone. I've never lied. I've, I've been kind since my youth. And so really he's describing like, I'm a wealthy person, but I've never defrauded anyone. I've never taken advantage of anyone. And Jesus accepts his answer. He doesn't call him a liar and say, you're wrong. You have done these things. He just accepts it. And he moves on to the next thing. And so Jesus, in that moment, accepting his uh, assertion, he, go, he, he goes in, 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 in on record saying that he believes this man didn't defraud anyone, didn't do any of these things, and so he accumulated wealth not through vice, not through injustice, but you can absolutely accumulate wealth through discipline, vision, delayed gratification, and patience. And you can do that. It's not and just to accumulate wealth, necessarily. But nonetheless, what he says, what Jesus says at the end, is it's harder for a camel, I'm sorry, it's harder for for someone to enter the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's harder for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What Jesus is saying is that it's impossible for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. It is impossible for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. But I want you to hear me in this next part because there's a nuance to what Jesus is saying. He doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say it's impossible and walks away. He doesn't say it's impossible for the rich to get in the kingdom of God and, and steps away. What he says, he doesn't mean, what, what he's saying is not a sin to be rich. He's not saying that all individual rich people are, are, are evil, or are bad, nor are all individual poor people good. But what he's saying is, he's also not saying, be careful, don't fall into greed, be generous from time to time, make sure you give 10%. He's not saying that. What he's saying is there's something radically wrong with all of us. And apart from God's grace, no one can be saved, including the rich. Because what's impossible with men is possible with God. So he says it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of of heaven. But in the same story, he says, what's impossible for man is possible with God. And so it's absolutely impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's absolutely impossible for an adulterer to enter the kingdom of God. It's absolutely impossible for the liar to enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible. But what's impossible with men is possible with God. Without a miracle, without God's intervention, without grace, no one can enter the kingdom of God, including the rich. But I want to go back to the story and talk a little bit. This, this, this man was a rich, young ruler. He didn't have it all together, though, even though he was rich and young. He didn't have it all together. And the reason we know he didn't have it all together is because he was still seeking something more. He was a ruler. He had lands. He had wealth. He was young. He had his health but he knew there was something more that he wanted, something more that he needed. So he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the context is important because last Sunday we talked about Jesus and, and talking about the children. And so he's, he's, he's telling that, that you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God. You have to be like a child. You have to be completely dependent upon me to enter the kingdom of God, just like children are dependent upon their parents. And so, so this rich young ruler likely, likely hears this, this teaching and he, and he hears that you have to be dependent upon god but what he what he feels inside is i'm not dependent upon god i've accumulated my own wealth in, in the right way i don't need i don't need god for anything cuz i have everything that i need but he feels this emptiness and, and in fact jesus is actually trying to leave he's he's jesus is leaving the area and the rich young ruler is running towards jesus and he drops to his knees And he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's missing something inside. He's missing something. He's been successful economically, successful socially, morally, religiously. And he says, I've heard that you're a good rabbi, and I'm wondering if there's something I've missed. You said that you have to be dependent upon you, dependent upon God to enter the kingdom of heaven. Is there something that I've missed? And of course there was something that he missed because anyone who counts on what they do or what they have will not enter the kingdom of God. So in him, there's this sense of accomplishment, but there's also this emptiness, insecurity, and doubt. Because you can't rely on what you have and what you do because how will you ever know whether you're good enough? But here's this man who's pulled together, has degrees from the right places. He's on the partnership track at work. He's, he's making all sorts of money. He's made millions already. He's only 28 years old. That's just conjecture. I don't know how old he is, but he's young. Yet to his surprise, he finds himself seeking out a rabbi, a teacher, and he's saying, am I still missing something? Is there anything you know of that I'm missing? I feel there's, there's this emptiness. I'm willing to make changes I'm willing to do something. What do I do? And Jesus tells him, but Jesus' counsel just lays him out. He begins by telegraphing how the rest of the conversation is going to go. The man comes up to him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' first response, really, the the man can't feel good about the rest of the conversation. How the rest of this thing's gonna go. Because if Jesus immediately goes, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. So he immediately tells him, Hey, you asked this question, but before I even answer your question, you, you're saying wrong things. That doesn't feel good. Like that's already, he's telegraphing how the rest of this conversation's gonna go. But what Jesus is saying, he's not saying you're wrong to, to call me good. He's saying you're wrong about how you view good and bad, how you view good and evil. You're coming up to someone that you think is just normal, and you're calling him good. There's this flaw in the whole idea of of goodness and badness. So he's hinting at how the rest of the conversation is going to come. And And then the real blow comes. Jesus already accepting what the man said about how good he is and how he's kept the commandments that are related to men. Jesus goes on to the commandments that's related to God. And he says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to have eternal life, of course you shouldn't commit adultery. Of course you shouldn't defraud people. Of course you shouldn't lie. Of course you shouldn't murder. You shouldn't do bad things. But if you just repent of doing bad things, all it will do is make you a religious person. If you want intimacy, God, if you want to get over that nagging sense that something's still missing in your life, if you can't find a way to to get yourself clean and and you can't change, what you need to do is you have to change the way you relate to your gifts and your successes. You have to repent, not just of bad things that you've done, but you have to repent of how you're using the good things God has given you. You have to repent of how you elevate gifts above giver, how you elevate creation above creator. See, Christianity is not just about repenting of all the sins in your life, but repenting of how you use the good things God gives you, how you view the good things God has given you. I wanna talk about four good gifts that we oftentimes elevate above the giver. Now, money's the first one because it's obvious. This is the one that Jesus is specifically talking about. Money is something that's easy to elevate above giver because a lot of us seek money for various reasons, but I'm talk about a few reasons that I know a lot of us struggle with or can struggle with. Money is something we, we, we chase after for a number of reasons. The first reason, I think the most serious reason or common reason is security. We feel like we need money. And so I want to hoard the money and build up wealth and build up money because I need it. Because what if something happens? What if, what if something happens to me or my family? Like I need all this money to take care of me. I'm not saying there's nothing wise about having a savings account. I'm saying there's nothing wise about having retirement or planning for the future. But when it becomes this thing that you chase because you're afraid of what might happen if, that's a lack of trust in God. It's a lack of trust in His sovereignty and His His love and and provision for you that you hold on to this thing closed-handed. You're not willing to give it up because what if? What if something happens? What if I need this? What if my son gets sick? What if my spouse gets sick what if I lose my job and again there's nothing wrong with being wise but there is something wrong with with consuming your life with chasing something that's not God and if that's money regardless of whatever the reason if it even it's for a good thing like security that's raised above the creator it becomes an idol and it becomes that thing God's going to say Jesus is going to say if you want to follow me you have to give this up you have to give up security it could be, it could be uh, money because of self-image. You want to drive the, the, the car. You want to wear the clothes. You want to have the house. You want to constantly compete with the Joneses, your neighbors. You want to make sure that you have this image that you want because you want people to like you and care about you. You want to fit in. Again, there's nothing wrong with relating to your neighbors, but when it becomes that all-consuming part of you, you're elevating gifts above giver and creating an idol. Food's another one. Food is something uh, that can be taken and created in idle. Food uh, is, tastes good. It's great. But I'll tell you what, what the struggle is with food and, and why gluttony is something that's talked about in the Bible is because what often happens is people, myself included, will run to food for comfort. You have a hard day at work. You come home. You want to eat a whole pizza. Maybe that's just me, but like, I want to eat a whole pizza. I want to dig into that bluebell and get a glass of milk. I know they're both dairy products, but I like them both together. I want to do that because it makes me feel good for a moment. In the reality, all these gifts that we're going to go through, they work for a moment. Like when you, when you, when you open up your bank account, and you look, and you have thousands of dollars in your savings, and you feel secure, like that feels good for a moment. But there's this emptiness inside. And when, I, when I finish that, that, that bowl of bluebell and, and I fit, drink the last sip of that milk, like it feels good for a moment. It feels good during the eating, but it doesn't last. Another one is drink. And when I say drink, I'm not talking about Coca-Cola, but alcohol. Alcohol is a, a gift given by God. Wine was a sign of blessing, a sign of anointing in the Old Testament. It's a good thing. They weren't talking about the kind in the box, though, that you have to, like, pour out of a box. We're talking about good wine is a good thing, but it's easy. It's so easy to lift it above giver. I'm not talking about like drunkenness. Drunkenness is an obvious sin. That's one of those things, one of those bad things you'd have to repent from. Probably the goodness of wine is something some of us might have to repent from. The goodness of beer is something some of us might have to repent from. Not talking about getting drunk, but the idea of like, man, I get home from a hard day of work and I just need a glass of wine. I just need a glass. I just need a, a bottle of beer because that's gonna make me feel good. Make me feel good. If, if that's what we're chasing, we're we're going to, to, towards drink. We're going to alcohol to make us feel good for a moment because we had an emotional day. We had a hard day. And we're running to that instead of God, and we're lifting creation above Creator. If that doesn't end with worship of the one who created the wine and worship of the one who created the good thing, then it's idolatry and it's a sin. It's good things we have to repent from. And the last thing we'll talk about is sex and relationships. Sex relationships are a good thing given by God. Like God created, so I was at a wedding last night and it was a, a two Christian couple, it was a Christian couple, one Christian couple getting married and they constantly talked about how, uh, or the guy doing the wedding or introducing the wedding, I'm not really sure what his role was, but he was introducing the wedding and he was talking about, he said multiple times how this was an institution created by God. This this institution created by God is absolutely true, and he couldn't have said it better. This is an institution created by God, and so God created relationships. He created Eve because it wasn't good for man to be alone. He created sex. He didn't just, like, create Adam and Eve and walk away and come back and, like, what are you guys doing? That's not what I created those for. Like, he created this, and it's a good thing, and it's made for man and women alike to enjoy But when it's used and chased after so that you can feel loved and feel cared about because you don't feel loved and cared about, becomes this idol. Because what you're saying is, I need these things more than I need Jesus. I need security more than I need Jesus. I need to feel loved by this, by a man or a woman more than I need Jesus. I need to feel cared about by a man or a woman more than I need Jesus. I need comfort from food or from drink more than I need comfort from God. And when we chase those things, when we chase the gifts given by God instead of the giver himself, God is, is not our savior, but he's our boss. It's someone we we do things for so we can get the gifts. Just like we do things for our boss, we can get the paycheck. If we're only obeying God to get what He can give us, then He's not our Savior. That's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible is about. And here's how you can see it in your life. I want you to imagine a life without money. All of it just gone. You have zero money. No inheritance, no inventory, no servants, no mansions, no bank account, no savings, nothing. It's all gone. All you have is Jesus. Can you live like that? Imagine a life without, without food without any good tasting food. Everything's bland. There's nothing good about food. Could you live like that if all you had was Jesus? No alcohol. God didn't create alcohol. There's nothing to come home to to make you feel better in a glass. Nothing. Could you live like that if all you had was Jesus? Let's, let's say you wake up tomorrow and for whatever reason, whether it's a car accident or a disease, you find out you can never have sex again. Ever all you have is Jesus, could you live like that? Would you be okay? If something happened to your spouse or something happened to your marriage and you no longer had that relationship and all you had was Jesus, could you live like that? Would that be okay with you? If God called you to singleness or called you to a life with just you and him, would you be okay with that? Or is this relationship, is, is sex, is food, is drink, is money a God to us? So how does the man respond to Jesus' counseling, Jesus' it, um, command? He went away sad. And the word translator, translated here would be better translated to the word grieved. The man grieved. And the, the same word is used when, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's pleading with God about uh, the cross. And Matthew records in the gospel that in the garden, Jesus started sweating blood. And it says, because he was grieved in his distress. And so the same word that this man walked away feeling, grieved, it's the same word Jesus had in his distress in the garden when he was sweating blood. Because Jesus knew what he was about to experience. He was about to experience the ultimate dislocation, the ultimate disorientation. He was going to lose the joy of his life, the core of his identity. He was going to lose his father. Jesus losing his spiritual center. He was going to lose himself. And when Jesus called this man to give up money, this man knew the same thing. He was going to lose himself. He was going to lose his identity, the core of his being when he gave up this money. See, money was to this man as the father was to Jesus. And so he walked away grieved. It's one thing to have God as a boss, as an example, a mentor. But if you want God to be your savior, you have to replace what you're already looking to as a savior. If you want God to be your savior, he has to be your only savior. And everybody's got something. So the question today, what is it for you? What do you look to to save you? What do you look to for comfort in the time of need? What keeps you up at night that you worry about, that you anguish over? If you want to be a Christian, of course you repent from sins. But after you're done repenting of sins, you repent from how you view the good things, how you use the good things that you fill up the place where only God should be. If you want intimacy with God, we have to get, if you want to get over the sense of, of something's missing in our life, it will have to be, become um, that God that you love with all your heart and strength. Not any, you can't, Nothing else can fill that. See, Jesus doesn't just go after his actions and say, you need to stop sinning, you need to start, stop having sex out of marriage, you need to start... Um, Stop looking, watching certain movies. Stop saying certain words. Stop looking at uh, things on the internet you shouldn't look at. But he goes after his center, his worth, the the sense of who he is and his identity. And it's impossible for a rich man to enter, enter heaven. It's impossible for this man to enter heaven. But it's possible with God. If God, when God intervenes. It's a miracle when someone's saved. When someone enters the kingdom of heaven, it's a miracle because it's because it's nothing about them. It's nothing they've done, nothing they've said, nothing they they've they, they've done, they've done nothing. There's no personal merit to enter the kingdom of God. But it's by God's goodness and his grace that we enter the kingdom of God. I want to close with this. There's this part in here that's great. But Jesus, what Mark records, Jesus about Jesus as he talked to the young man, the, young, the rich young ruler. He says, he looked at him and he loved him. An incredible part of this story is Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Now, why was Jesus' heart so, so suddenly filled with love for this man? Was it because he saw a man of great wealth? He's like, man, this guy could do a lot for me. No, it's not why Jesus felt love for him? Was it because the leadership potential of this man? Like, man, I could really use this guy on my team, so I'm going to love him and try and get him into the kingdom so that he could do a wondrous work for, for the disciples. No, it's not why he loved him. Jesus, who at this point is about 31 years old, looks at this man and loves him because he identifies with him. Jesus, too, is a rich, rich young man, far richer than this man ever could be, or he could even imagine. Jesus has lived in the incomprehensible glory of the Trinity with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity past. He's already had more wealth, love, and joy than anyone can imagine, and he left all that behind already. Paul records in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, says Paul says that Jesus Christ was rich for our sakes, he became poor. See, he wasn't asking this man to do anything that he hasn't already done. Jesus, the richest man who's ever been, had given up everything, his throne, his glory, his good, everything, every good thing for him and for you. And Jesus says, I'm going into a poverty deeper than anyone has ever known. I'm giving it all away for you. Now you give everything to follow me. You give everything to follow me. If I give away my big all, all of everything that I have, you can give away your little that you have to follow me. I won't ask you to do anything that I haven't already done. Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler who's given away the ultimate wealth to get you. When he's on the cross and, and he was separated from his father, he paid the ultimate price and, and gave away everything he ever wanted to get you, to get you. See, if we understand Jesus as the rich young ruler, we understand that he's the true rich young ruler, it changes our attitude towards everything else that he gives us. That we don't need any of these things that he gives us because we have him. It changes our attitude towards money. We don't need money. We don't hoard money. It our, it, we, we, we won't, we're not trying to figure out how much I have to give away, but we're trying to figure out how much I can give away. We're not, we're not thinking about relationships and, and sexes and what can I get from this person or, or, or how many, like what can I get from them? We're thinking, what can I give to this person? How much of my life can I give? See, it changes our attitude towards the gifts when we realize Jesus has already given it all away. Jesus is saying, I want your attitude towards money, towards gifts to be utterly changed by what I'm going to do here on this earth. So this morning we'll sing a couple songs and I, um, like Adam said, feel free to stand, sit, raise your hands, whatever you feel comfortable doing as you worship. But I want you to think on like, what is your savior? Is is God merely this God who you look at to obey and do what he wants you to do so you can get the things that that you think he's promised you when he's never actually promised you those things? Or is God your savior, the one who you see has given up everything to get you and you want to give up everything to get him? And that's Christianity. That's following Christ. And there's really not a choice here for us because we talk often about believing in Jesus and believe and believe. We got, like, I believe in, in Christ. I believe he died for my sins. But the reality is the Bible makes no distinction between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. Where, where one does not follow Jesus, he doesn't believe in Jesus. Because believing is, is not merely an intellectual acknowledgement that, yes, I, I, I know it's a historical fact that Jesus lived and died for me. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about acknowledging a list of, of beliefs, but it's about putting our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that so I don't have to earn God's favor, that I have God's favor. And, and, and because I've received God's favor, I'm willing to give up everything he's given me to know him more, to know the power of the resurrection, to know, the, 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 uh, to know his sufferings. I may know him and have him. Everything else is rubbish, Paul says. Everything he's given, everything I have is garbage compared to, to knowing Christ. And so today, maybe you're someone here who's, who's primarily looked at Jesus and God as, as, as someone who, if you obey and you do the right things, he'll bless you with what you want and what you feel like you need. And the good things, like, like God created all these things we talked about that are good. And he wants absolutely wants you to enjoy him because he's good. But you've twisted christianity in this idea of if i do these things and he'll bless me with these gifts and so god is your boss and your mentor but not your savior today my prayer would be that you would believe and by believe i mean trust in his that you already have his favor and that it's all you need you repent from elevating gifts above giver and the last thing the disciples would command of people is to be baptized So there's anyone here today who who has trusted, who has uh, believed, who has repented, and has not been baptized since coming to faith, like something that that God commands, and I'd love for you to talk to me about that sometime um, today or through this week. Text me, call me, um, and talk about getting baptized, because that is the next step, is believing and trusting in Christ, repenting from not just your sin, but repenting from belief and that these gifts are what it's all about. And then, and then not just turning from those things, but turning towards God, turning towards Christ and following him, and then being baptized as a symbolic profession that I've died, I'm a new person, a new man, a new woman, and I'm alive in Christ and I'm following him. So um, we'll sing these songs together and then I'll come back up and pray. And again, if, if you are taking a step of faith today or this week or have recently, and haven't really talked about it. That you've repented and want to follow Christ. Then talk to me. And talk to me about uh, baptism. And I'll come up back up and pray. Let's pray. Father I just uh, just come before you Lord. Thankful for this morning. For your word God. And that though it's impossible. For a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible. For a sinner. Into the kingdom of heaven God. That you've made a way. You've what's impossible for us, Lord, is possible through you, God. So I praise you, God, that you made a way that you saw fit in your sovereignty to send your son, God, to die for us, Lord, and give everything away for us, Lord. And I pray that our response would be to give everything away for him, everything away to know him more, everything away to share in his resurrection, Lord, everything away to share even in his sufferings, just to know him more. So, Father, I thank you for that opportunity, God. I pray that you would work in the hearts of all of us here, Lord, to root out other saviors, God, to root out other things that we look to for things that we should come to you for, God. So continue to root out our hearts, Lord, and I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that has that responded with trust and faith and repentance, Lord, and, and is yet to be baptized after uh, salvation, Lord, after coming and following you, Lord, I pray that they would take that step, God proclaim to the world that they're a new person. They're following Jesus, Lord, and they're willing to give up all to have your son. So we're thankful this morning, Lord. I pray you'd bless today and bless tonight for us, God. pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.